Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. It's time to get lit on literature. Yes. Episode 25. 25. Holy yes. shit. Yes. We're a quarter century. Oh my God. Oh episode. my God. That gives me anxiety. It's nice. I mean, this July will be two years since we've kicked was this it July? off. It was July, I think, 2021. Damn. Look so at us. Coming off on it. Me with commitment <laughs> issues and I was still able to commit to this. <laughs> yes. Nice. I'm so excited about this episode because last time we tried to have a conversation like this, we weren't really able to. And that was, I'm referring to when the crawdads sing, where we read the oh, book and yeah, then yeah. also watched the movie. And we were like, no, let's focus on the book. The book is like worthy of its own discussion. The themes, like, let's just really focus on the content. Yeah. But we've been like wanting to do an adaptation review type episode for a long time. So I'm glad that we're finally doing it. And I'm glad that we're doing it with this book. Yeah. Even though like <laughs> I'm about to go like really hard and yeah. talk a lot of shit. So much. So much shit. But Buckets you know, of shit. I think that this is like, I mean, I know it's predictable because I'm always going to be the person who's like, oh, the book is better. The book is better. But like, I'm happy to be able to provide concrete examples as to oh why God. that is true. I, I could <laughs> honestly just go back to the time that we were watching it and go to our WhatsApp chat. Yes. And, and pick through a plethora of yeah. examples because we were like yeah, going we back were, and forth. We were really upset. And for those of you who don't know, haven't seen the title of this episode we're talking about daisy jones and the six by taylor jenkins reed this book has been so popular super i mean it's crazy every time i go to a bookstore and there's like a book talk table this book is on there mm -hmm. or there's just like a whole taylor jenkins reed oh my God. table like everyone's just like on her clamoring on I mean, she's great i read her book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, a couple of years ago. I've seen the and cover. It's fucking great. That book is yeah. fire. And I'll say this this book is also absolute fucking fire. I loved this book. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. We have some issues with the adaptation. We do. We do. Um, we'll get to that. But before we do, Alexa, she is pouring some <laughs> some wine for me right now. Do you want to give us a little uh, intro into what we're yes. sipping today? We are sipping on Enriot Brut Souverain Champagne. <laughs> I need to enlist the French speaker for there these words that's sometimes. What I, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> she studied just to help me <laughs> with these pronunciations. Yeah, the four years of my education no other were reason. Just, just for this. Just for me. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and this is a great champagne. In a few, I will reveal as to why I chose this. If you read the book, you'll know why. <laughs> already yeah there there was really no other option no but to drink champagne for drink this champagne i mean yeah. it's it's clear very clear very clear but all right let's start off with overall thoughts on the book i like the book i really like the book i thought it was an interesting approach to have it written like almost like a screenplay or, or a play just all the the dialogue in there it made me feel like i was in a in a documentary setting like I could picture it almost like a show going on. So it was funny then to see the yeah. show. Yeah, I, I like that too. You know that I was really nervous about that. Yeah. Because when I when I first picked up the book, I picked it up with the purpose of us, you know, talking about it for this episode and because the show was coming out, but I didn't open the book. Like I didn't yeah, open yeah, yeah. it and, and 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 see the style, right? But it's written almost like a script. So yeah. 
once I did open it, I was like, oh my God, Alexa, like, am I going to hate this? But <laughs> I think you're right. It, it really worked. It felt like some sort of like MTV music documentary. Yes. It felt really... Like behind the music. So, <laughs> and, and you know what I liked is that it lent itself to the fact that like, because this is based on a fictional band and they're doing interviews about what happened, you know, 20, 30 years prior, right? Or more than that. Yeah, I don't know when this while. like fictional think, yeah, documentary sure. is taking place, but like, this is something that they're talking about from way in the past. So the interview style lent itself really well to the fact that there were always different interpretations to the things that happened. Yeah. Like one person will be like, oh yeah, it was totally chill. Like no one was mad about it. We were really happy. And then like the next quote is like, you could feel the tension in the air, right? And you're like, oh, okay. So like this is lending itself to the fact that like one true thing happened, but everyone's interpretation and memory of that thing is going to be totally different. And that's what made, I think, this book really, really magical. Everyone's perspective is like really embedded into the story yeah and i also loved it because i'm a former thespian so it reminded me don't think you should be reminding people <laughs> it of that, reminded me of reading plays back in school and like you know blocking it and and walking along the stage and feeling so it gave me that kind of nostalgia but it was it was great it was an interesting but effective choice yeah i agree i really liked it um, we have a couple of notes in terms of like what we want to discuss today. And I think it kind of makes the most sense to start with the plot twist at the end and then yeah. talk about the adaptation. Like, yeah, maybe like a little overview with the plot twist. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So, so Daisy Jones and the Six is this fictional band in the 60s and early 70s. And they manage to make it to the very, very top. They become extremely popular. They sell out shows all across the country mm -hmm. and then it all kind of leads to or it culminates in this moment where they have this show in Chicago and that's the last show that they ever do but none of them knew that that was going to be the last yeah. show they ever did right so the whole book is leading up to why that turned out to be the last show the book also focuses on how the band was its own band and then they brought Daisy Jones on so you you get the kind of perspective from Daisy you get the perspective from the band what it was like having her come in and then you get to know each one of the characters. Mm -hmm. There's there's kind of love affairs within the band. Yeah. There's also a lot of tension. There's a little bit of everything, I think, in terms of like the human condition represented. Yes. There's yeah. there's 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 an abortion story yeah. meshed in there. Obviously, there's, that was like a part that I really sure. focused on and that I really enjoyed. It's like pregnancy, yep. love, breakups, just addiction, addiction, friendship. Yep, yep, um, drama. There's family a little drama. bit of everything. There's a little bit of everything. And so again, it culminates in this like last show that they do. And at the very end of the book, you find out that this documentary is actually being produced and filmed by the daughter of Billy Dunn, who is the other lead singer of Daisy Jones and the Six, apart from Daisy Jones. And so you realize that this is like a really personal mm -hmm. project, right? That she is documenting what her dad her uncle, because Billy Dunn's brother, Graham and Billy and the drummer Warren and um, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie and, and Karen. Karen. And then you've got Daisy, right? Yeah. So she's, she's definitely telling a very personal story. And then there's this other plot twist at the end where we kind of find out about Billy Dunn's wife, Camilla, and, and she becomes, in my opinion, the kind of hero of the book. Mm -hmm. And Daisy is actually kind of the anti-hero of the book. Totally. And that made it really fascinating. That made the book really interesting because you want to like Daisy, you kind of care for her, you find her as this like wild child, but you 
root for her, but she's really the anti-hero in many ways. Totally. She's the enemy. Oh yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. So I would say read the book because it's so fucking good. The book is awesome. And it's so much better than the show. The show is trash. I will say this. I think if you haven't read the book, you won't hate the show as much as no. we do. No, Sean, Sean didn't read the book and he saw the show with me at first. He's like, okay, this could be okay. But then I think he got annoyed at me pausing it and being like, it's supposed to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll definitely annoy <laughs> he somebody. He also said it was kind of slow. Like the show is kind of slow. It is very slow. I think that they, um, and it's funny that I'm complaining about this because I always say like, if you're going to do a series on a book, there's no excuse. You have plenty of time. But I think they dragged <laughs> it out. Like They dragged out the wrong things. They dragged things. out the wrong things. Like I think that there were some storylines there that didn't need to be focused on. And what bothered me, what a shock, is that they took out a lot of the political implications that the book focuses on. Yeah. And that really pissed me off. Mm -hmm. Like that pissed me off more than I can even begin to describe. Example number one, there was someone in the band that ends up leaving the band because he was drafted. Drafted into Vietnam. Yeah, drafted yeah. to go to war and gets killed. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't come back to the band. And that was a commentary on what was happening at that time. And it was an important contextual kind of element to the story. So when that was removed and in the, in the fucking show, this guy decides just, he just doesn't want to join the band because he got into dental school. Yeah. I was like, way so to stupid. fucking clean up like a really interesting and important element of this book. Like I thought that was absolute bullshit no, and it totally. really annoyed me. And then the other one, again, absolute shocker, the abortion story or like sub story mm -hmm. in this book was really, really, really commentary, in my opinion, on the fact that like she was expected to give up her place in the band to become a mother and was pressured to do so yeah. and chooses to have the abortion and that causes all sorts of hell. But in the show, they don't make it about that at all. No. They're basically just like, oh, she didn't want to be a mom. And like, she like went and like made her own decision. But the whole point was that Graham, mm -hmm. who's the one who got her pregnant. This is Karen, by the way, the, 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 the keyboardist. keyboardist. She was my favorite character, but she we'll get awesome. to that. Um, the whole point was that Graham was actually the villain in that whole yeah. story. And he acted horribly. He was such an absolute dipshit. And she even asked him at one point, she was like, oh, do, you know, do you expect me to like give up my dream? Or like, would you be the one to leave the band to raise this baby? Mm -hmm. And when he stays nice and quiet, she's like, you see? Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't fucking think so. So it's like, it's just one of those things where like the story was just so good. It was so strong. It was so important in the book. And again, it added that political context because hello, those of you who have been listening to this podcast would know that <laughs> Roe versus Wade was decided in... January of 1973, this is a story that takes place mm -hmm. in the early 70s. This is a commentary on the fact that she was finally able to make that decision on her own and had access to do so. When you remove that kind of political commentary from a story, I think you're being a coward and I think you're shit. And I think you're automatically setting this, the, the story up to be nothing but entertainment, yes. which is fine, whatever. But it's a real disservice to the book and to the author and to the people who read the book. So that's my first mega complaint yeah and i th i feel like the same i the the show as it turned out is completely different show or, or 
topic than the book. The book was so strong on its own. And then the show just like ends up being a completely different show. They remove characters. Like it wasn't even the six. It was five of them plus Daisy. It's supposed to be six of them plus Daisy. So I'm like, why are you removing these people? Do you not have a budget to pay actors? And then just... I thought they did a total disservice to the addiction storyline. Yes. Like addiction yes. is no joke. Addiction is a real thing. I mean, you've you've read um what is it, Empire of Pain and yep. also yep. like addiction is real. It's a real issue in this country. And then to have it be glossed over like in a Mickey Mouse kind of way, like, oh, we're just gonna paint this pa- oh, he drinks a lot. Done. Like, yeah. No, no. They're Billy and Daisy were hardcore addicts and that was not showcased in in the show at all. And it it does a disservice to then like, you know, you want them to hit rock bottom. So then the up, the up of it is that much stronger. Like Billy coming out of it is that much better. And and you just don't even get a sense of any of that with this. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And what also bothered me is that it like by not focusing on the addiction stuff, especially when it came to Billy Dunn. Yes. They actually wanted to just focus more on drama and they made him out to be much more of a cheater asshole yes. in, the, in, the, in the adaptation, in the series, than is the case in the book. In mm-hmm. the book, you're cheering for him a little bit. Yes. You acknowledge that he is sick, that he needs help, that he made mistakes because of his addiction. But in the series, it's like you just think he's an absolute dipshit because even after he gets clean, mm-hmm. he's still like cheating on her or like contemplating yeah. it or like, and it's just Lusting like, after Daisy. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and that's it not wasn't how like it that. was in the book. That's at not how all. it was in the book at all. So like that was extremely annoying to me because the characters become tainted. They become someone else. The reason I think Completely. I hated the series so much is because I think it does a disservice to the book and to the author. Mm-hmm. Like I know that there are certain things that have to be changed for a series, you know, for an adaptation. I totally get yeah. that practical things, but when the story itself is so powerful, why would you mess with that? Why would yeah. you make it so that the most important things, the real messages in the book are what get left out of the series? It just made no sense to me whatsoever. No. Zero. At all. They should have shopped it over to HBO where they could have all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yep. I, I feel like Amazon Prime just kind of like babied it. Some- yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I think the casting to an extent was good. Yeah. To an extent. Like, I For think Daisy was great. Part. I think yeah, Daisy's like really a good, good Daisy. Like, 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 they did not fuck up there. She's great. Billy Dunn kind of annoyed me because this is like so mean, but like (laughs) he's supposed to be hot. Yeah. And this guy's not hot. Sorry. I'm not one to like be mean about people's looks. Like that's not my style. That's not my vibe. That's not like what I do on this podcast. But I'm just like, you guys describe him as like a totally different person in the book. Total babe. A total babe. And this guy is just like, you can see five guys that look just like him at your local gas station. Like, what is special? Like, okay, if we're going to have a conversation about, like, hot dudes in TV, let's do an episode on George from Queen Charlotte. Have you seen that? No. Girl. I have to look him Get up. on that shit. Oh, my shit. God. So the whole point is that the standard is high. Yeah, it's high. Okay? And then you guys cast this guy? What? He's like, like scrawny whatever emo boy from whatever band. Yes. He, ju- he, he just looks anywhere. so generic, so yeah. uninteresting. I was like, this is not 
this is not it. This is not no. the guy. This is not Billy Dunn, okay? No. So that pissed me off. I think Karen was a good Karen. I liked her. I, I was curious about the British accent. Because I'm like, is she supposed to be British in the book? I don't remember that. She's definitely not. That was right? stupid. Right? I was like, that was just to add some flair. That was flair. stupid. <laughs> and um, this is a character I've been dying to talk about. Niccolo. Mm. Okay. So, in the book, he's Italian. He's passionate. He's a fucking train wreck. The highs are high and the lows are lows. The adaptation made him British too? He was Irish. Irish. He was of Irish aristocracy. Yes. But his Irish accent came out once every like- Came and went. Yeah. It was so bad. I was like, if you're going to be Irish, be Irish. Yes. Yes. Like- Oh, really? It was just, it, he was so bad. He was he was terrible. terrible. He was terrible. Terrible. And then the way that they wrote him for the adaptation didn't show the extent of how fucked up he was. It made him way more put together. It it just nullified everything that the book did. The book the book pairs them together. Daisy meets him in Thailand when she, she goes frantically to escape everything. Mm-hmm. She meets him by the pool. They strike up a conversation. And then it's this whirlwind romance with this passionate Italian. And just mm-hmm. like they do a, an absolute douche douche, canoe. douche, tons of drugs and alcohol and traveling. Let's go over here. Let's travel there. Lots of near overdose experiences. There's yeah. actually in the book, a time where they're fucked up out of their minds. And she kind of like, Almost dies. And he's like, right. oh, let me leave her in the shower. Run water on her. Right. He straight up, like, left her to die. Yes. Essentially. So this this character is a piece of shit. A very rich, wealthy, uh, up there, a prince, whatever. Piece of fucking shit. Yeah. And in the, in the show, he's just some, like, Irish man who is a little bit jealous. Does, does a little bit of drugs. Right. And that's that. Right. And then he like freaks out a little bit when she's overdosing yeah. in the bathroom. Freaks out. And then what annoyed me too, this annoyed me more than anything actually. I'm so glad that I just remembered this. In the book, when she's about to overdose, she realizes that he left her in the shower. Yes. And she decides to leave the hotel that they were at to fly back to the US to record their next album. And she yes. leaves him a message and she says, I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. Right? Turning point. Major turning, turning point, point in the book. Turning point. And... There's even a, a, a quote in the book that I absolutely love that Warren, who's the drummer, says about her. And he was like, oh, where's Nicolo to her? And Daisy said, that period of my life is over. And so Warren is like, that was it. End of discussion. I thought that was badass. And I love that too. I was it's like, amazing. that is so cool. And I love it because it I also speaks it. to like her independence, her right. power, her right. like so, the daisiness so of her. So the independence, power, daisiness of her was taken away from her in the series because Billy Dunn is the one that finds her in the fucking shower. Ooh, that was so annoying. Instead of her making the independent decision to leave this guy, which in a way she does in the series, but she wasn't found by Billy Dunn. Like they no. make him out to be this like hero in the story that he really isn't yes, and certainly isn't in the book. This love hero it's thing. Like, it's, and, and, and it's toxic and it's unhealthy and it's like horrible. the the bad relationship that he has with his wife Camilla because he keeps like loving Daisy or like obsessing over Daisy like that's not how it is in no, the book. Like it's not. the relationships in the book are actually a lot more nuanced, a lot more complicated, a lot more actually realistic and beautiful and you're cheering for all of them and and in 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 the series, like the characters just get ripped apart, man. Like 
they just don't get their due. They don't. And they don't, they just don't get the characters. They like pin them against each other. And it's like even the Camilla Daisy like showdown. Yeah. The book isn't it's not like that. that. It's not at that. All. Zero. They're com- like, they could give a fuck less about, at least Camilla could give a fuck less about right. Daisy because she knows what she's got in this. Right. But in the book, it's almost like they're they're battling against each other for Billy. And I'm like, right. no, that didn't that's happen. not how but again, it is. That's the cheap way of creating entertainment. Yeah. Hit two hot women against, against each, other. each other on television and you have a recipe for success. Well, you know what? That's bullshit because the book, the way it handled it was so much better, so much more nuanced. Brilliant. And it still brought us to the same conversation, which mm-hmm. is Daisy's the anti-hero and Camilla is the hero. If anyone wants to argue with me about that, go ahead. Because <laughs> I just don't see it any other way. No. They both represent a different life for Billy, but more than that, for themselves, for the reader. It's not about these two women fighting for a guy. That's no. such a cheap story. No. We've seen it before. I'm not interested. I don't care for it. I think that the book was so much more nuanced. And actually, I really like Camilla in the book. I yes. think she's such a awesome. bad bitch. And she represents a lot of things that like I'm not super down with. But like Camilla took Karen to go get her abortion. Mm-hmm. And she was the only person, being a mother herself, yeah. of, of more than one kid, which, by the way, in the book, again, another disservice. She has only one kid. One I don't want to talk about that. She has one kid on the show, and in the book, she has three. It's like, yeah, what the fuck? Absolute fucking bullshit. Like, but why she's are you killing like, kids off here? She's this, like, loving mom, and she's the one that takes Karen to get the abortion, and she's the one that basically tells Karen, like, you don't need to feel bad. Yeah. And you don't need to feel bad in front of me. You don't have to perform for me. I'm just here to support you, make the decision that you want. Whatever you want. And that was such a beautiful storyline that wasn't really focused on in the series. Camilla doesn't go with her. To no. the abortion clinic. No. In the in in the in the, the, in the show. series. Yeah, and that yeah. really pissed me off because again, this was like one of the most powerful, one of the heaviest, one of the most important parts of the story, especially for let's be real here, the majority of the people that are reading this book are women. Mm-hmm. So when you take that out, you're basically telling us that that storyline isn't that important and because it's not entertaining, it shouldn't be included. Exactly. Well, what about those of us who actually relate to a story like that? And loved it in the book. So I just think it was really irresponsible. I don't know what the right word is. Editing, yeah. writing. I don't know how, how one becomes another. Yeah. How, you know, how a book becomes a series. But wherever that threshold happens, whoever's responsible for man, it, Marissa. that man <laughs> fucked this fucking series up. No, and then with, with Camilla too, it was, I loved her character because she was kind of like, yes, I will follow you, Billy. I will support your dreams. I will groupie hard for you. Right. But I have my expectations. Yes. I have my non-negotiables. And this is what it is. Yeah. So despite like, you know, that rock star life or whatever. And like, hey, whatever works for her, kudos to her. I know she turned a blind eye to a lot of things. But then also she, you know, she stood up for herself in other ways. But it was just, they, they stole that from her. In the series, they stole that kind of like cool, calm, collective control. Like, yeah, your life may be crazy, Billy. Mm -hmm. This band may be crazy, but I'm solid and I'm here and and you're not fucking leaving me. You're not leaving this family. You could go do your little rock star thing on stage, but you're coming fucking home and you're not even fucking around anymore. Yeah. And I, and I think that those elements of her, like, again, like we, we as viewers were robbed of it because Mm -hmm. as readers, that was probably one of the most compelling things about Camilla 
is that a part of you wants to be like, oh my God, like she's so lame. She just like follows him everywhere she, you know, he goes and Mm -hmm. has like his babies and just like chills. But that's actually not it at all. Like you said, she had, she had her boundaries. She had her demands and she's actually a really interesting and really respectable, Mm -hmm. beautiful character in the book. And I, and I absolutely loved her. I mean, she was, she was definitely my, my favorite character at one point, especially after the, you know, taking Karen to, you know, to get her abortion. I was just like, wow, this woman is like, she's the example. Mm-hmm. She's the example. She's the foil to Daisy. Yes, if you really completely. boil it down, they're the exact opposites of one another. One is like bombastic and, you know, in the limelight, but a total and absolute mess. And you have Camilla who's like in the back and like more guarded, but has herself and her life together and represents something totally different. So I really liked her as a character. Casting wise didn't love Camila no. Morone for that role, but... No. Sean thought she was hot, but that was about it. She's super hot. Very hot, but she just not... She compensated for the fact that Billy Dunn was yes. not hot. <laughs> yes. I stand firmly there. I think she was... She is so gorgeous. Super. I mean, she super, is super like... hot. It's... I don't think it's... I don't think a person like that should exist. Yeah. But her acting was okay. Her acting was like, it was I like, mean, yeah. what? But she is beautiful. Gorgeous. I just didn't think she made a good Camilla. Like, in my mind, the Camilla that I was picturing, like, yeah, like, she was hot, sure. But to me, it was actually about being a better foil to Daisy. Mm-hmm. And in the series, that's not really the case. Like, they're yeah. just two hot girls. One happens to be brunette and one yeah, happens to be exactly. redhead. exactly. It's true. You know what I mean? So I was just like, mm, I feel like something better could have been done here. And she was almost, like, too sweet. Yes. In the show. She's not a bad bitch She's in the show the way the she show. is no, in the no, no, book. No. Exactly. So I didn't love that. Mm-mm. But I do want to talk about another very, in my opinion, underrated bad bitch. Simone. 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 Loved Simone. Simone Loved was great. Simone in both the book and the series. Is this the only part where I'm going to be positive? Maybe. I liked the actress that played Simone. I just found it strange that they made her a lesbian. <laughs> Like I was just yeah, like, I was, like yeah I was confused I was like I was wait confused. was this in the book? like what yeah the whoever played Simone was great I liked her energy I thought she was great I think they didn't play up enough the fact that Daisy needed her they played it up the enough. friendship the at the friendship beginning was, wasn't focused yes, on enough it yeah, wasn't focused on enough and how she I agree she moved out of Simone's house and the, like and then they made her lesbian all of a sudden and I'm like why. This wasn't in the book because later she has her a kid too, and I'm like, did they go to a sperm? Like, yeah, that was confusing, was confusing to me. Like, just they needed to chill with that. They I know you want to represent everyone, but this is a book that's already written. Yeah, like chill. Like it's fine. It's like you fine. don't have to like try that hard. Yeah, yeah. But like, there's this like really sweet quote that Daisy says about Simone. She's like, you have to have one person in your life that you know would never do anything to steer you wrong. You mm-hmm. need one person who, when the when the shit hits the fan grabs your stuff, throws it in a suitcase, and gets you away from the Italian prince. Yeah. And I loved that. I loved that. And, I, and I'm very sad that that wasn't really the case again in the series because Simone ends up leaving they're in Greece right they're like they're like in a house in Greece in the series in the series but that's not that's not how it goes in in the book but they're in this house in Greece when Niccolo meets um Simone and by the way in the series he he only goes by Nikki you don't get Niccolo because he's not actually Italian he's He's Irish apparently it's it's like so he becomes Nikki um, but I did think that that was like a little bit annoying that again, that was kind of taken out from the series because Simone goes through Helen back to find Daisy. Yes. She goes to Thailand 
finds that she's not in Thailand and then finds out that she's actually in Italy. Yeah. And, and then has to go to Italy, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, that wasn't all the plane tickets, bro. Just yeah. like that alone. And there's no cell phones. Right. There's no email. There's telegrams. There's telegrams. She's, she's like, I left a telegram yes. for you. I'm like, what the She's fuck? literally tracking this bitch down, like old school style. Like, yo, I can't find your GPS there. No, like she's, she's on the, on the lookout for right. her, like flying cross, cross, you know, not even cross country, like globally. For yeah. Daisy, so it kind of really downplays, you know, the solidness of their friendship and exactly. And I think that um, in the book, there are a lot of like really beautiful moments of the two of them kind of bonding with one another. Yeah. And in the series, it almost feels like that was replaced by Simone's relationship. Yes, with, with um, who, I forget I, the I forgot I forget her, the, name. her name, her partner's name, her partner's the, name. her DJ partner. Yeah, but like I almost feel like the tenderness in Simone is really yeah. not seen with Daisy in the way that it's represented in the book, mm-hmm. and it's more with her partner in the show. And again, like fine, whatever you made her a lesbian, like that's not like necessary. Like I love lesbians. I don't care. Yeah, like, I love le- like not... one of our best friends is a lesbian. Yeah. Like we're very pro lesbian here. But the book here. wasn't. She wasn't a lesbian in the book. <laughs> and, it, and it also just like it felt kind of forced and weird. Yeah. Like I didn't understand what that did to the storyline. I didn't. I, I think that they were trying to give Simone more of like an independent storyline yes. and like highlight her more. But you you don't have to do that when you have this many characters and when the so main many. characters really are, in my opinion, Daisy. Camilla and Billy. Mm-hmm. They were trying to give her like a spinoff within the series, almost. Yeah. Like it didn't yeah. work. Like when she like, goes to New York, I'm like, what does this have anything to do with the story? So that's a good example, actually, of like what you said earlier, which is like they expanded on like the wrong parts. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have to do that. Like focus on like what exists in the book, expand on that, make it ten episodes, but don't create storylines. Weird storylines. And then what? Oh, another thing I hated about about not her but her character part such a hater episode of is that so Niccolo so okay so in the book Simone gets to Italy she sees everything is a fucking mess and she's like Daisy like you can't be with him like kind of like yeah. what the fuck is going on yeah. here so and he's so up his own ass that he's just like blah, 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 whatever in the series she's kind of being like are you sure about this yes and he's like She's in, no, no, he's not Italian. He's not Italian. You got to shake that accent off. She's in love with you. Yeah. (laughs) Basically trying to say that because Simone's a lesbian, she's in love with Daisy and she doesn't want Daisy to be happy with someone else. And I'm like, that's not it. This is like such a man thing. It's such a man thing. Like, Like, God forbid two women love each other. Yes. In like a platonic friendship. Because women. Familial way. Exactly. In the eyes of this idiot. There's no way that Daisy could be cared for by a friend better than he, a yeah. rich man, a rich privileged man. So yes, that annoyed the shit out of me. And then I guess maybe now that we're talking about it, like, is that why they made her a lesbian to like make that storyline of like, oh, she's in love with you? If that's the case, that's so lame. It's super lame. That must have been it because I'm just like I don't understand why they. They did that I whole don't. Thing. I, I don't see the point of it. I don't see how this yeah, made the series, the series any stronger. It made no sense to me. No, and it's like a trope. It's like Mean Girls. Like you have a big fat lesbian crush on me. Like you just assume it's like right. It's like no, they don't like every every girl yeah. that walks by. Like <laughs> I won't name the person because we can't do that. But <laughs> I think I told you about this. But I had this experience very recently where someone that we work with uh-huh. 
is no longer with her partner. Okay. And when I ran into her and her now ex-partner okay. in a mall, I said hello to her. I gave her a big hug. And then I just very kind of politely said hello and like waved at the ex-partner. But I didn't give him the, you know, big hug and like grand hello yeah, yeah. that I would give her because she's a friend. So apparently he went up to her later and was like, oh, you know, I think Maritza has a thing for you. Because <laughs> God forbid, God forbid that she'd not just be someone that I care for and is a good friend and that I'm happy to celebrate and love very much. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, men are so fucking cheap. Like, men are so possible. stupid. Straight men. Let me be very clear because gay men, I please... Do not count yourself when I throw insults around. Okay. Y'all are just oh fine. God. But straight men, I mean, come on. So of course, like, because I was not very nice to him. And I mean, I wasn't even like not nice. No, but you just, just because I wasn't warm and like loving. Like he's like, oh, that's it. She's my, she's my competition. No, sweetie, you are your own worst enemy. She doesn't want to be with you. Relax. Leave me out of it. She's my friend. I will support her. But I just think it's funny how like men are so insecure in situations really like these. And Ni Nicolo is the perfect example. Perfect. He's like, I know for a fact that I cannot take care of Daisy. I am a mess. I am awful. I actually don't even really love her. Her friend is here to save her from herself, but I need to find a way to make Daisy see that that is not where she should go. Mm -hmm. She's in love with her. Summer, obviously. Like, like, like the series was full of cheap tropes that we've seen a hundred times. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm even thinking of going back to the whole Billy and, and Daisy thing. Like, let's. Lit, lit, oh my God. Let's. Let's. Because that whole thing was extremely upsetting as someone who read the book and actually really enjoyed their yeah. relationship. In the book, all that happened, they were writing songs together, vibing, finally got over their, their tension because Billy wanted to be the number one guy in the group. He didn't want... Insecure straight man. Insecure straight man, like Tom Sandoval. It, number one guy in the group, if you guys know the Vanderpump Just reference. Just to translate, Ariana is yes. Daisy? Is that uh, even appropriate? Is that No, she's Camilla. Camilla. She's, she's Camilla. Camilla. I guess Raquel would be Daisy. Oof. Or Rachel. Oh my God, that's doing her such oh my God. a disservice. But, but all they did was write the song together, start vibing. They have one little peck of a kiss. Yeah. One little peck, and he stops it. Yeah, because yeah, she initiated. She it. initiated. He stops it. Says, "I can't do this." Walks away, and that is it. And then, of course, there's this weird tension. But that's it. Yes, like on his end. And Daisy's the one that, in my opinion, in the book, she's the one pining over him, but for like emotional reasons. Like, yes, like it's not because she's like fighting with Camilla over him. No. It's her seeing him as someone who is a recovering addict yes. and she can see that in herself in her future he becomes an inspiration for her and yes i do i think she loved him yes i do but i think it's not the way it was portrayed in the series so oh. again it like cheapened it like i understood that in the book the author was also trying to create a really interesting and awesome example which is that intimacy can also be found in creativity yes right exactly. like in the fact that they were collaborating there was this intimacy that he couldn't share with Camilla. And that's where the kind of difference lies. And it's expanded upon really beautifully in the book. 
So again, it's like the series just decided, well, you know what? Fuck that. Let's just pit two women against each other. Let's throw a lesbian in there. Let's get a guy that says that she's in love with her. And... You know, that Let's sounds like a recipe for success, you know? And then in the in the series, he just keeps, like, making out with her at random yeah. times. And I'm like, this, didn't, this happen. didn't happen. And that's why in the series, you kind of hate him. Yeah, and you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be rooting, you're supposed to be for, rooting him. for him. If anything, you're like, why the fuck does she keep trying him? Exactly. Like, exactly. You, you, your allegiances are not in the right place mm-hmm. when you're watching the series. And, and I think that that's what frustrated me so much is that I think the book was so good and so nuanced and the relationships were really well written and the characters developed beautifully and there are political implications and storylines and all of these things that just make the book really, really fantastic. And everything that made the book good was scrapped in the series. Yeah, basically. Do we want to talk about the last part before they break up and how fucked up it ended up being in the series versus like the book I feel like was really strong that last night of Camilla and then yes and 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 the differences too right because in the in the book Camilla is the one who kind of I wouldn't say saves the day but comes to Daisy when Daisy is in distress yes right and she essentially tells Daisy like I'm clear on the fact that Billy loves you Mm-hmm. but Billy will never leave me. Yes. That's the part you're referring yes, to, right? Yes, exactly. The- when Daisy knocks on Billy's hotel room door, Billy's not there. He's at the bar fighting his demons. Right. And Camilla opens up and has a talk with her. Yes. And that was a very strong scene. And it's also when when Billy and Camilla's daughter is reminiscing mm-hmm. on that is when we find out that she's the director, producer, what a creator of this documentary. Cause she, cause she says like, Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I or remember that like part. That. Something. I remember yeah, what yeah. she was wearing. Where, or something something like yeah. And so it's like, that was done so well in the book. And also as a side, cause this is happening, as you said, at the same time, Billy doesn't relapse in the book. In the book, there's a guy that doesn't offer to buy him a drink. He takes the drink from him at the bar. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, oh, you're Billy Dunn. Oh my God, hello. And he sees him with the drink yeah. and he takes the drink from him. And it was this like beautiful act of kindness. And you see Billy like really grateful for the fact that, as you said, he was fighting his demons mm-hmm. and he didn't, they didn't win. Yeah. Right? And that this stranger, this kind, compassionate stranger kept him from making a bad decision. But in the series... They just fuck he's him just up. There like, and he's just chug, chug, taking chug. it down. And I was like, this doesn't happen in the in the no. book. Billy is a much better, lovable, respectable, wonderful character <laughs> who's just doing person. his fucking best. And then in the fucking series, you're like, this absolute son of a bitch asshole mm-hmm. who doesn't give a shit about his wife, doesn't give a shit about anybody. Anyone. And I'm just like, this is not how I want to feel. He is not the stereotypical rock star as they're trying to portray. He is... Cleaned up, very sober, very family oriented, very much wants his relationship with his right. wife and his kids to work. Right. He's very he's like rock star chained up. Yeah. Like rock not star wanting, light. light, like not wanting to go yeah. hard. And yeah. And he does a great job and you're rooting for him the whole time. And then you get this fucking adaptation that you're just like, he's a douche and I hate him. And it's like not a non hot douche. I yeah. was like, this is so not 
what I wanted. <laughs> no. And then the part, so then Camilla basically takes Daisy to her, to Daisy's room because mm-hmm. she knocks on Billy's door thinking that she's going to like fuck Billy or what, whatever it may be. God knows. God yeah. knows. So Camilla goes with her child to Daisy's room, takes care of Daisy very lovingly, very nice, but straight up tells Daisy like, you need to leave. You mm-hmm. need to leave this band. You need to go. It's like, over. It's over. It's over. Mm-hmm. This whole bullshit fantasy in your mind. Because she also recognized, I think, that yes, they share a level of intimacy. But for Daisy, it's much different it's in more. her mind. Mm-hmm. It's more. In Billy's mind, he's like, we're just like two, two souls that match creatively or whatever. And in Daisy's mind, it could be something more. Yeah. And I thought it was so badass how she was just like, you may have something. He may love you. But he's never going to leave me. You must so get, get the fuck out straight. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like Camilla is such a bad bitch in the book, and her character again is the hero mm-hmm. because at the very, 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 very end, what we find out is that she tells her daughter that Billy should give Daisy a call. Yeah, and it's been something. Who knows how long? Twenty, thirty yeah, years yeah. since exactly. they saw each other. Exactly. Right, and she's the one that essentially acknowledges that Billy should reconnect with Daisy, that something was missing since Daisy had mm-hmm. to leave. And Camilla, at the end of the series, like you see her in this kind of like weak state and it's portrayed like pretty similarly, I guess, to the book. Yeah, yeah. But at the was. same time, like when, how do I explain this? Like with Billy at the end of the series, you don't believe that Camilla would have wanted that for him. Yeah. Because it had been so negative and so bad and so inappropriate so lustful that it really only actually makes sense in the book because there the intimacy that 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 Billy and Daisy shared was only believable in terms of how it was portrayed in the book does that make sense yeah yeah in the book it was clear to Camilla and everyone that like their intimacy was based on a creative like spirit like twin flames whatever not necessarily like, I'm in love with you, let's fuck, or whatever. Yeah. Like, it wasn't that at all. It was more like, we are so on this same path. We are the same person at different right. points in our life. Right. So then in the book, I mean, in the series, it didn't make any sense for the outcome. So when Camilla had cancer yeah. at the end, towards the end, she she passed away of cancer. But before she did, she did this whole docuseries, like, like the rest of the band. And she told her daughter, who's producing this, like... Hey, when I'm gone, here's the number of Daisy Jones. Yep. Make sure your father gets in touch with her so you right. can reconnect. So in the book, you totally believe it. Because it's like, I had my life. I had my family. I had my husband. I'm going to die. So when right. I'm gone, take care of him like that. Right. And have him reconnect yes. with the thing that had to exit our lives in order for yes. our life to work. Like, it, there's an acknowledgement there that, again, like only made sense in the book. Because in the book... It wasn't this like really negative, no. gross, like cheating situation no. like it was in the show. At all. It was like our life is over now, so he could start anew. Right. With her. Like right. and this and that's alternate why she's universe. the hero. Like yes. that's why I keep saying that she's the hero. And in a lot of ways, Daisy was kind of the anti-hero because Daisy represented all the things that Billy no longer wanted to be. Mm-hmm. He didn't want no. to be, you know, a drug addict, a drug a addict, drunk, and exactly. Like, and like, we didn't even talk about all of the the horror. You guys could read. You guys d- don't watch it. Read it because then you'll it. see like yeah. the level of addiction there. It's really, it's really, really intense, and it's painted in a way that also feels a lot more real than it is in the series. Yeah. In the series, it's like it's so glossed over, and they almost like I don't want to be like extra here, 
but they almost make like a fucking joke of addiction in the show. Yeah, because they, they do. make it sound like, oh, look, he was drinking too much, and like he was oh making God. out with some girls in his car in, a van. in oh advance, God. so like he's gonna have to go to rehab. But in the book, it's like it paints the actual real ramifications yeah. of addiction. Yeah, and I think that it was actually done really well and very in a very compassionate way. It was. And written in a way that I think was fair and open and difficult, but real. And the series just makes it so fucking cliche. It's fluff. It's fluff. It's sugar fluff. It's like it nothing. It so bad. Like in the book, there's a point where Daisy's so fucking high that she's stepping on glass barefoot. Yes. And yes. she has no fucking clue. Like, yes. Like it's just... It's just it just doesn't paint it at all how it is, and it's just a disservice to to that storyline. And it's it just, just it's awful. It's so bad. It's awful. I I hope that we've really <laughs> emphasized how much we hated the series. We hope you read the book and not watch the series. Yeah, because if you want to be entertained, I promise you that the book will entertain you. The story is great. The characters are great. So the way good. that it's discussed all of it is just fucking wonderful the 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 series i think you can really only potentially somewhat enjoy it is if you haven't read the book and you just want fluff or you want something playing while you're scrolling through your phone yes straight up straight up straight up it was so bad it was so bad the only reason i finished it was because i felt like i had a duty to finish it for this episode same not because i wanted, I wanted to be able to. to talk shit because i'm informed yeah, informed shit talkers yeah. we are. I wanted yes. to be like, look, I'm going to fucking talk so much shit and I'm going to like sink this show. Oh, yeah. But only because I watched every fucking episode. Mm -hmm. I paid attention. Mm -hmm. I wasn't scrolling through my phone. I was watching the whole goddamn thing. And I was like, this is such a disappointment. So bad. What an absolute so bad. fucking disappointment. So the PSA here is read the book, people. Yeah. Stay off of Amazon. And with that, I'm kind of scared at... um. Red, white, and royal blue. Oh my god! Amazon, they fuck this up. Amazon is adapting the book episode two. Three? Was it two? It was early on. It was very early on. Go early on. Um, I think it was episode four or four because Emma. Emma was. Oh, on. Emma was on. Go listen. Go listen to Red, White, and Royal Blue. But that book is awesome. That book is so fucking there's good. There's so much sex. I don't know yeah. how Emma... It's a lot of gay sex, guys. A lot. A lot. A lot, a I, lot of I don't hot know how gay they're, sex. <laughs> yeah, and I've already seen, like, the images of, like, who got cast for it. And I think Alex is actually a pretty good cast because he's just, like, this super cute yeah. brown boy. But I don't know so much about... What's his name? Is the it other Henry? guy. Henry? Hen it might be Henry. It might be Henry. It was a long time ago. I don't know about him. I don't, I don't think I like it. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't love it. But, like, I, I also just, like, I really feel like I need to say this. I don't always love the book more than the series. I, I don't want to be that person. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this, there's this book by uh, Celeste Ng, and they did a series on it on Hulu, I mm -hmm. think. Okay. I, I don't know if it was Hulu, but it's uh, Little Fires Everywhere. Oh, yes, With yes, Reese they, Witherspoon. Yes, yes, I haven't seen and, it, but I've um, heard of it. Uh, what's her name? Carrie Washington. Mm -hmm. oh, and the series is a lot better than the book because... In the book, at least in my opinion, the book doesn't capture like these really tense, uncomfortable moments that are like about race. But in the in the series, like you really see it, mm. and it's the visual kind of nature of of, of the series just like, really lent itself beautifully to the story. So I just wanted to throw that out there as an example. Like sometimes a series really can overshadow a book. I really believe that. But in this case, 
that just wasn't it and i'm keen to see what happens with red white and royal blue i I almost feel like we need to do like a mini so we we need to do like a bonus episode where we just like talk shit or not about yeah like i think we should like because a lot of stuff that we're doing lately like they're either being adapted or like shit like that like let's definitely do like a little bonus episode mini so about what that movie ends up being like because i think it's Agreed. I think it's interesting. Yeah. What gets kept and what doesn't get kept, what gets kind of like, you know, glided over what doesn't because it says a lot about the message that they want to portray and the conversations that they do or mm-hmm. don't want to have. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to fucking tell me that, that Red, White, and Royal Blue is already like this like gay story, this like love story. So gay and how amazing. How are you going to get past some of the things that are talking you know what I mean it's, yeah, it's a very yeah. political book. very political very sexual very I can't imagine I don't know I don't know given what they did to this book yeah I'm just scared I'm this. scared yeah, but I, I we will watch it I'll be hopeful I don't know who's doing school for good mothers but I hope they get it right I hope they get it right that's coming up too uh, that one has to feel dystopian and uncomfortable and scary and dark from the beginning yeah and God, listen, let me tell you right now, if they fucking make it look like she's just like the villain. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to lose, lose it. My lose shit. it. I'm going to lose my shit. Let's see if it's a man or a woman producing. <laughs> it's always, oh my God. It's always like, whenever I see, like, I'm actually, I should have done better research. I want to know who like produced, directed all this shit for oh Daisy God, Jones and Six on Amazon. Mm, because mm-mm-mm. if it's a fucking team of dudes, I'm like, fucking course it was. You're like, this explains it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with that. With that, let's let's skip on over to the Yeah, water. because at this point we're just gonna repeat how much we hate. We're just this rambling show. now. We're just rambling yeah. about how much we hate shit. How much we hate this fucking show. But you know what we don't hate? This champagne. Yeah. What a good segue. <laughs> good segue. <laughs> oh my god. So this um this champagne is directly inspired by the book. Daisy Jones is always drinking champagne. Yep. Constantly in her drunken high stupor. She's she's champagne and um she even coins the term up down as her breakfast combination. It is champagne and coffee. That's disgusting. Uppers and downers. Uppers. That is disgusting. It's disgusting. Like I can't I just can't. I mean an espresso martini is one thing, like alcohol with coffee in that way. Yeah. I could get with that. Like as two separate two, things. Yeah, as two separate things. It's like when people, I, I feel it uh, akin to when people drink um, alcohol drinks that have milk in it. I kind of get grossed out. It's just like, Ugh. You don't enjoy Ugh. a, a, a white, white Russian? Russian? No. Ugh. It just like curdles in my throat. Like I, I just can't. Oh, I, I kinda, can't. I kind of like white. I, I just, it the just, egg white, the whipped egg white. It's just kind of like the, I don't know. It's just something about it. No, it's wrong. It's like you're not wrong. It, it is wrong. It like it's gross. It feels gross. It feels gross. <laughs> I just don't like this idea of like yeah, like the two like her holding two separate cups. Like that sounds disgusting. And then with a cigarette, I'm sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um. So yeah, I had to get champagne for this episode. I Agreed. would have been as wrong as the series if I got any other drink for this. Yep. Uh, so this, um, this champagne house is one of the few champagne houses remaining independent and family owned. They were founded in Reims in 1808, and it was actually founded by Apolline Henriot, the young widow of Nicholas Henriot. So girl power. Yes. My husband died. I'll make a champagne house. Oh my God. I love that for her. Right? 
Over the years, the house has been cultivating a distinctive style and they're really guided by Chardonnay. They love their Chardonnay and they want to showcase the purest expression of it. Let's dedicate this to all the people who say that they don't like Chardonnay. Yes, all the people. The people. I, I saw your reel the other day. I was laughing so hard. You say you don't like Chardonnay, but you drink Chablis. Exactly. <laughs> we, don't generalize, people. We know those people. Mm-hmm, we do. Oh, I love Chablis. Um, and they have a high pro, um, proportion of premier and grand and crew vineyards and longer aging on the lease. So I don't think we've talked about crews in the podcast before. So I just want to give like a quick um, overview of it. It's a classification system that designates the status and location of the villages where the grapes come from. So if you have a premier or a grand crew plot, you got like that good, good vineyard juice. The grapes are growing in like the best of land, the best terroir. And it's like, you're going to get the best expression of the grapes there. So you're going to pay up for it too. Right, right. <laughs> so Grand Crew is top of the top, cream of the crop, number one, and Premier Crew is just a step below. So if okay. you have either of those, you're golden. And this classification is in Champagne, it's in Burgundy, it's in Bordeaux, a lot of, it's French. <laughs> so that's when you know that you're getting like top of the line juice. They make non-vintage uh, cuvées, which is blends, and they have a vintage, which is like the year of the wine. And today, it's actually run by eighth-generation family member Gilles de la Rousière. Yes, he's leading the company, and I mean, their origins go back to hundred plus years. Eighteen oh eight. It's crazy. It's wow. crazy. He's eighth generation. I wish my family so had a champagne cool. house somewhere. I, know. I wish, yeah, I mean, just, you know, top tip, you know, be born into generational born into wealth. wealth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so the whole history of the family is shaped by a passion of the terroir and as the wine as a sense of like entrepreneurship and legacy. And then another fun tip about more girl power in uh, the champagne house this cellar master is also a female, a cellar master. So this is the person that's in the cellars, making the wine, making sure everything is up to par. Alice Tetien. Yes, Tetien. Alice Tetien. Um, so she started in 2020. It comes from uh, Krug, which is another crazy expensive wine, um, champagne, where she was responsible for vineyard relations and she was a member of the tasting committee. She is one of the champagne industry's most highly specialized winemakers. She has tons of qualifications and she's just generally a badass. So it's amazing that they brought yeah. her on a few years ago to to manage the wine production. And it's just a testament to like their foundations of being badass women powered um, champagne house. I love that. That's so cool. So this this cuvee was the first to be created uh, by Apolline in 1808. This brute is crafted every single year. And um, according to her, like, I know sometimes we like vintages because they show us, like, what the land was like, what the grapes produce, the, the yeah. temperature and all that. But she thinks that one year is not enough to tell the whole story of her terroir. So she decided to put the wines in reserve each year to incorporate them into a future blend. So all of the periods of the vineyard's life are represented in this brute. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So since it's, um, it's multi-crew, so it comes from different plots and it's multi-vintage. So it comes from different years of blends. They have this reserve wine. So it's a blend of three main champagne varieties, uh, 40% Chardonnay, 45% Pinot Noir, and 15% Pinot Meunier. 
and they actually have a ton of crews. So they have 29 crews and 50 to 70% of the wines of the year is the base vintage. So that year, let's say whatever, 2007, let's just say, well, no, not, I don't think 07 is a champagne year. Oh, wait, oh, wait, is definitely a champagne year. So let's say, so 50% of that wine will be from 08 and then 30 to 50% of the reserve wines will go into it. So it'll be a blend like that. And there's at least three years of aging for this wine. And then we get into dosage, which we haven't talked about either here. So in champagne, dosage is a form of sweetness, either sugar or wine with sugar added to champagne to balance it out. Grapes and champagne sometimes don't ripen all that well. So you get like this crazy acidity um, because it doesn't have the amount of sugar it needs when it ripens to balance it. So what they do is correct it with this dosage to, to balance it or to nullify some of the acid or impart some level of sweetness. And there's a whole scale that goes from like um, brute nature or zero dosage, which they don't do anything at all. And it's crazy, like acidic and stuff to uh, do. Is that right? Do. Yeah, do. To do, which is 50 plus uh, grams of sugar for it. So it's brute nature, extra brute, then brute, which is what we're drinking. Uh, this has, I believe, seven, seven grams uh, per liter. And then it's extra sec, extra dry, sec. So you keep getting a little sweeter with every bit. Mm -hmm. Demi sec, and then do. So that's the yeah. sweetest. Do just means sweet. Yeah, well, there you go. Yep. It's just sweet. <laughs> yep. So now let's get into, t let me, let me give us a topper. Yeah. A little tip I'm, topper. I'm, I'm empty over here. I know. It's this. been that good. I really like this. It's delicious. I mean, I just like, I'm never going to not appreciate champagne. Like that's just, it's always going to be my drink of choice. Yes. I'm kind of like Daisy, but I'm not pairing it with a coffee or pills. Or pills. <laughs> Lots of pills. In the book, she had... She didn't even know what pill she was taking. Yeah, that's true. That's another she, difference. That was another difference. In the book, she was like, oh, pill? What? In the in the, in the the adaptation, you never saw. I mean, you saw a couple pills, but they could have been Advil for yeah, all we know. Yeah, a little, a little different. A little different Way vibe there. different. But. All right. So the bubbles are beautiful. We're drinking it out of champagne flutes to get the full bubble effect. There's a ton of tiny little persistent bubbles. Mm -hmm. Some are bigger. Some are tinier. But they're just like foaming all up. And it's a pale yellow color, a kind of pale gold. Very beautiful. Definitely get like brioche, some kind of yeastiness on the nose. You get citrus fruits. You get some stone fruits. Definitely yeastiness. Um, the toasty nose. I have such a hard... I think I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I have such a hard time with champagne when I'm tasting champagne and I just want to emphasize that's totally cool guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyone who's like, you know, feeling more confident when they listen to the podcast and they're maybe drinking wine, you know, that's not sparkling. I feel like it, that it's generally yeah. easier, right? Like no, for sure. Still wine is so much easier. Yeah. I, I have trouble a lot with champagne too, just cause like the effervescence and the bubble. Yeah, like, like I can't smell it. Yeah. It's just like a I lot. I don't have like that kind of like I, training. I always just get like yeast or bread notes and like mm -hmm. the citrus and some other notes here and there, but it's also, um, sometimes it's better. This is why glassware matters. Sometimes it's better to have like a white wine glass with it. Because then you could get, um, it opens it up more. So yes, you lose a lot of the bubbles with that, but you get to smell it more. So it just right. depends on like your vibe. If you want right. to like whiff it and be all like 
you know fancy 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 like i'm going through the the taste and smell grid and writing shit out or if you just want to be celebratory so but it is i mean for me too it's harder i think i think i had that conversation with uncle drew recently yeah (laughs) or uncle drew about that uncle drew shout out to uncle drew we miss you we miss you we love you we need to go over there i know to see you and then we're gonna taste it it has like a really um nice light texture kind of moussey in the mouth Mm -hmm. um I get more bread. I get more minerality. I get like apple. Yeah, totally apple. There's apple. Yeah, apple, like a little bit of baked pear or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not getting like the citrus, like in the smell. I'm getting more like like baked stuff. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, totally. And it, and it is aged longer, so that kind of helps do it. Yeah. Um, nice. The finish, I would say, is pretty long. I'm still tasting it. For I sure. just took a sip. Um, no, and it, and it does like the different crews that they do get the grapes from attribute to this complexity. And even right. though it's a non-vintage wine, it has so many different crews, um, and reserve wines and, and with the year wine that it just kind of like, uh, has all this structure to it and yeah. the complexity for like, this is a non-vintage. Okay. Just to put in perspective, like this is a non-vintage and then you have the yellow label Veuve Clicquot mm-hmm. non-vintage. Uh, that one I think is like 40 bucks. This one I think is about 50, 50. or so, mm-hmm. but there is just like a world of a difference yeah. between the two, just based on like where they're sourcing the grapes, the blend of reserve versus non-reserve wines. It's just like a completely different story. Um, but it's a dry wine. It's kind of like medium body. Um, and yeah, it's very straightforward. All the notes we said, and I, I think it's a great, value for you know the 50 bucks that you could find it online for champagne ranges agreed yeah yeah champagne could be oh my god i mean if i go to to the supermarket and i want a bottle of pj it's gonna cost me what 75 bucks yeah exactly so i think it's a really great value for champagne um you're still getting the complexity it's not just like a one note champagne or anything and it's premier and grand cruise so I think it's a great value and it's delicious. Um, I could it's delicious. I could drink this at is it Chateau Marmont where she was staying? Yes. I could drink this by the pool at Chateau Marmont. Yes. Or I could drink it. You know, in your back patio. Back patio. I could have it with a nice seafood dinner or yep. sushi. I could have it for a celebratory moments. I could drink it uh, pre-gaming at a rock show. I yep. could. <laughs> it's perfect for any occasion. I I don't want I don't want to compare, but <laughs> like right now that you met, like that we talked about, like apple, the more like baked, yeah, um, flavors. It reminds me a little bit. Again, not to compare, but it reminds me a little bit of when you brought that 1990 Ooh. bottle mm-hmm. of um, of a Le Grand Dame. No, you brought me oh, wait. the uh, Oh, no, the Dom, Dom Perignon. The Dom. I'm remember... thinking because I do have a 1990 of oh. Grand Dom that I was thinking of you Ooh. about. So we got to think about that. My birthday. Think about that. This My year, birthday? this year. Um. But I was I was thinking about that because I yes, remember when we Dom tasted Perignon. that, it was super baked apple flavor. Yeah, super, super, super baked apple flavor. And I remember you asked specifically for the white wine glasses mm-hmm. so that we could like really get that. And, and you're right. Like, I think it's interesting when because a lot of people don't know about this and I'm obviously still learning, but like you really feel like it's a, almost a different drink yeah. when you just change the glassware. Like I remember I almost didn't feel like lacking confidence when I drank out yeah. of that glass because I was like, oh, totally, 100%. I totally smell it. I totally I get feel it. it. I totally get it. 
But in a situation like this, I'm like, hold on, it takes a second because yeah, you don't get it's like the trapped. full like whiff. Like yeah. it's just not possible. Yeah, the flutes have a very tapered um like mouth. Like the bowl is kind of short and narrow, and then it narrows out and tapers out. So you don't have the aromatics pouring out of it. They're more like controlled in the glass. So is it fair to say that it's not really that one is better than the other? It's it's about what you're looking for. Yeah. Completely. Like, if it's New Year's Eve and we're just like, let's toast, happy, whatever. Like, flutes are just celebratory. They're mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I'm really trying to, like, study a wine and write down notes and, like, figure it all out. <coughs> write down notes and figure it all out. Then a white wine glass, I would say. And then for a little in between, there's also, like, the tulip flutes that are kind of wider. Those are cute. Those are cute. Those help a little more than, like, normal champagne flutes but I mean I sat in this amazing uh wine glass class where they were basically had this this brand new set of glasses where it was varietal specific so you had your pinot noir glass you had a cabernet sauvignon glass you had a, a chardonnay glass and a sauvignon blanc glass and then we poured so it's like these four varietal specific glasses and then we poured the Chardonnay in the Pinot Noir glass. We poured it in the other glass and then you tasted them all and like, it was fucking different. It's like it a different, it's like a different wine. And it's like, I felt stupid, almost like the emperor has no clothes kind of thing. Like, yeah, is it because yeah. he's telling me this or because I actually taste yeah. it? No, but you totally do taste the difference. It was so bizarre. It was the craziest shit. So crazy. But but it's fun and, and it's, it's fun to like experiment with different things. Like yeah. I, I would challenge you to get a champagne flute and then a white wine glass and pour champagne into both and see how what you get out of both of them yeah because it's fun yeah no and I, I think that like the fun thing about wine is that you're never gonna stop learning it's impossible oh God, no. to ever know it all so it's like every day never. is a learning experience and if you feel like you're really good at wine tasting or you've like kind of gotten better at it will start switching around your glasses and you're going to turn it <laughs> yeah. upside down for yourself and you're like, wait, hold on. I have so much more to learn. Like, and, but that's like the, that's the fun part. That's yeah. why wine is like this lifelong journey, this really thing is. that will kind of keep you engaged forever because it's going to constantly evolve. And even a, a bottle of wine it itself will evolve. Right? Exactly. So it's just like a never ending thing. And I think that similar to books like based on different times that you have it in your life Mm -hmm. you're gonna have a kind of different relationship with it so they they match well together for that reason too i hadn't really thought of that but it's true yeah oh they're perfect they're perfect perfect perfect. pairing perfect oh well this has been such a fun episode you know i love talking shit so this is a great we were excited to talk shit that was gonna be really (laughs) exciting for us we were like oh my god we finally get to be negative how you want to get me going say a topic and i'll start talking shit about it (laughs) um but no thank you all so much um if you enjoy this podcast make sure to follow us give us all the the stars and all the reviews if you don't follow us on instagram find us at pouring over pages podcast we have a merch merch store on etsy go in there find all the things we have cute book teas wine teas abortion teas anything you want and then you could also subscribe to our newsletter um, where we tell you when we the episode drops so you're like the first to know and thank you for sipping with us listening to us and we'll catch you for the next one Woo! cheers, cheers.